Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the ninth episode of our Unleashing Deep In podcast. Uh, I am super excited. We've got a very special guest yet again. We are here with Alex from Demo. They are one of the the forefront builders in the space, just doing a lot of amazing things uh, in Deep In. I'm really excited to get a chance to chat. Alex, welcome to the pod. Thanks for joining us. Tyler, it's awesome to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, man. I'm really excited. I'm a, I'm a car enthusiast at heart. Never got to share that publicly. Nice. Maybe before we get into it, can you just give us a bit of background about who you are, uh, how you got here, and and a little bit about Demo yeah. as well? Yeah, I've spent uh, about uh, 10 years in the startup space. So I actually started my career at Startup Accelerator. I knew like startups is where the action is. I need to be a part of this world, but I don't really know what I'm going to do. I don't really know the kinds of companies I want to work for. Um, where, where can I get that exposure? I actually went to New Orleans and I worked at a Startup Accelerator. And I found myself passionate about uh, a couple of things. One being sales. So I ended up, you know, later on going into a sales career, but also being really passionate about just like, you know, technology at the forefront. And um, in in the case of where I was, I joined an IoT company. We were actually building um, hardware and software to monitor and manage uh, telecom infrastructure. So these are um, cell tower sites and, and wireline sites and I was working for a really, really cool company um, that's gone on to have some success called Cervedo that was monitoring this infrastructure. And it was while I was at this company doing IoT things that a friend of mine and now Demo co-founder Andy sent me the Ethereum white paper. And uh, this was uh, this was about 2015, 2016, and uh, it was 2016, and, this, and it just clicked. It was like, oh my God, smart contracts, exchanging value. I had known about Bitcoin for several years, but exchanging value like this makes so much sense for the iot world so you know almost a decade before i've been involved with emo i'm i'm thinking about like iot and, and, and blockchain is a perfect match um that sent me down the crypto rabbit hole i ended up moving on and, and joining a company called Chainalysis. uh in uh you know after their series a i think that was 2018 i was one of the sales people there working in the private sector working with exchanges and DeFi protocols and L1s and L2s to, you know, enhance their capabilities on, you know, blockchain analysis. Um, and after a couple of years there, I, um, I left looking for a fun new startup and adventure and, um, bumped into my old friend, Andy, of course, as well as some of the people he'd recruited along the way. And we ended up co-founding Deepmo. That's awesome. What a unique story arc. Did you, when you first heard about Ethereum, did you start having kind of that, oh, there's a application or sort of an overlap between what you were doing in the IoT space and connected devices and these things? Did you start to see the forefront of that when you were back in the in the Ethereum? Yeah, it was right away. Yeah, right away what hit, what what tipped me off. And, and, you know, I had known, like I said, known about Bitcoin for a while, but to me it was like, you know, specula speculation and of course, like, you know, uh, let's say... Um, under the radar transaction. I knew I knew those were the two applications for Bitcoin. Sure. And um and then, you know, the whole smart contract aspect to Ethereum was was really novel. And I think I don't know if it was in the white paper or maybe it was in some of the subsequent reading that I was doing, but there was, you know, already at that time a lot of interest and a lot of thought going into machine to machine payments and how like how how can you get, you know, IoT devices to let's say maybe pay each other or or pay individuals. Um and, and settle instantly or near instantly as opposed to, you know, going through traditional payment systems. Um, and, you know, the applications that I was working on at the time, as far as remote monitoring and telecom networks, you know, you might have expensive pieces of infrastructure, backup power, 
you know, these are at sites eight hours away from the nearest, um, you know, the nearest facility where that, you know, a driver can roll out and go service them. And you can start to imagine all these ways that like the infrastructure has its own wallet and can pay for its own like surface. And sometimes it's a different company that's contracted. And how do you trust the data that's coming out of those sites? There were so many applications at that time that I was exposed to early on that are like so relevant, verified data from physical infrastructure, thinking about how that infrastructure is going to, you know, have its own wallet and its own identity and how do you keep an accurate record of that identity all of that was super relevant and i, I kind of stopped thinking about that for a while i got you know swept up in all the fun d5 stuff and, and nft stuff that everyone else i think you know explored and then it's really cool to be back thinking about iot and, and blockchain yeah that's amazing i remember back in 2018 that initial seedlings of sort of the smart city concepts intersecting with mm -hmm. instant payments and crypto and whatnot were, were very much at a part of the conversation. It was way before this deep in thing came into existence, but uh, that's, that's amazing to hear you kind of think about that and plant the seed. So how did you go from IoT and telecom yeah. into this this automotive world and, and connected devices and what came before you guys started Demo? Yeah, it's interesting. Demo was the result of, I think, a couple of threads that kind of like swirled together and came together. I'm actually, there's, there's four co-founders of Demo. I'm the only one who didn't come from, with automotive experience to the table okay. um, or automotive mobility experience. I had the IoT background, crypto background, but, um, you know, my other co-founders have worked at car makers or, or, or um, car marketplaces or giant mobility companies. So I was the only one that didn't have explicit automotive experience, but I did have all the IoT experience. Um, there was a couple of problems that we identified. So, um, one, um, my co-founders from the auto space were well aware of just the myriad of data issues that exist in the auto space. Like, you know, t t like Toyota's data is different than Ford's data and different than GM's data. And of course you have 30 automakers. This isn't Apple and Android world. There's two big ones. There's right, 30 large automakers in the world and their data is different than what the insurance companies have about a car. And that's different than what Carvana has about car and different though car Fox says and so you have in a sense a very similar set of problems that you have in the financial industry where you have payment processors banks and, and and all of these different types of financial services organizations that have different ledgers ethereum comes along and says hey you can build all of this stuff on chain you can have one shared ledger globally settling um you know, you know computer well the same can apply for the auto industry it's another trillion dollar industry where you have this, you know, asset like a car and information about the asset, it's data. And how do you get all these different parties to agree what's real and what's not? And who owns the car or or what the car is saying about its own battery and things like that. So there was a deep expertise in the in the sense of like these are real problems in in the auto space. Um and I think, you know, while those are big problems for the big companies, what dawned on us is also that these are problems for consumers. These are holding consumers back from having great connected car experiences. If you talk to most people about their car's app, if they have one, that is, and unless they have a Tesla, that, which they'll say I have a pretty nice app, most people are going to say, oh, I open it up. Maybe I use it once or twice. It's not that valuable to me. Um, so we saw this like just huge, huge opportunity. All these institutions want better data. People, like whether they know it or not, want better data about their car. Um, and we saw a massive opportunity there. And... The final like little puzzle piece was Helium. We had been pretty deep in the Helium world, putting out Helium hotspots, and just saw it as such a novel um, way to instigate um, a community-oriented action around infrastructure. And so 
we saw the combination of these pieces. There's an appetite for better data infrastructure amongst enterprises. There's an appetite and an opportunity to build great data for consumers. And there's this cool new token incentivized model. And um, over the course of a few months, we put the pieces together to start doing that. Well, that's exciting. What a interesting combination of different components that ultimately built up to you building a product that's solving a lot of different problems. I love to unpack yeah. a couple of those benefits. You said specifically one yeah. of the things for end users is that unless you have a Tesla, that connected car experiences, there, there really isn't one. Um, for someone yeah. who just is driving their car on a daily basis, what are some of those benefits that you get by having a connected car experience or, or a connection to your car and getting data that you maybe otherwise wouldn't even know exists or is being thrown out of your, your OBD2 port, for example? Like, What are some yeah. of those specific benefits? I think it's interesting that like a lot of these benefits exist, but they exist in the, um, you know, you can almost call it the analog way. And it's like, we haven't applied the principles of like, you know, internet, uh, and, and, you know, web-based supercharging of these things, um, to cars yet. So I'll give a few examples. Um, there's a few ways that people's data is, is collected about their car, their car data is collected, um, that people are probably pretty familiar with, um, Insurance is one of them. For years and years now, insurance companies have offered, hey, if you plug in this device, we'll give you a discount on insurance. Sure. Um, that data is dramatically underutilized. You talk to any insurance company that's doing this and they'll tell you, yeah, we don't do a whole lot with that. We're trying to revamp. We're trying to get smarter. We're trying to get more data. Um, you know, the, they're, they're basically like, are you, the, the thing they care about is, are you willing to even try? <laughs> like that gets you further than most of the data does. Another familiarity uh, or familiar experience people have is, is, I mentioned earlier, Carfax. Like, cool, Carfax has some data about my car. It's like living out there. There's this Carfax about my car. Carfax sees, on average, every car seven times. Seven data points about every car. Like, that's it. You know, it's not like there's this ongoing digital twin of the car that they're building. Um, and then, of course, people are familiar, like, you know, with, with reading them. Maybe they're familiar with reading the error codes on the car. And this, again, is something that you can do at a point in time. Maybe a mechanic does it. And even in just using these familiar examples, you start to realize a few common themes. One, there's no canon canonical record. All of these little bits of data, the insurance driving data, the car facts, the OBD2 scans, these things are not attached to one record of the car. They're all now in different sources, insurance company, mechanic, uh, car facts. Like, they're all different places. And the user doesn't have a single repository for it. Um, Second, they're all, you know, moments in time, little snapshots. Our, our, you know, insurance is maybe using some more data, but, but there's no way to build a more interesting whole out of it. You can't take that data, and this is the final piece. There's no portability. You can't take that data and give it to Carvana and say, hey, Carvana, here's my driving history. Here's the Carfax. Here's, you know, the OB2 scans from the last three years. Like, can you give me a better price on the car than what you're offering sight unseen? Hmm. And when when we talk about like really trying to supercharge the connected car experience there's um you know for most of the life cycle of the car the car is a black box to the people that are interested in its data and instead like the obd2 port the CAN bus is throwing off tons and tons of data every single second even on older cars it's only increasing but there is so much data rich data that's available from those vehicles that all of these interested parties would want and you know, that's if just if we're talking about the regular life cycle of the car, and it speaks nothing to the cool, like, um, value add use cases you could build on top of a connected car platform that has millions of cars connected. You could build, you know, car clubs and social games and, and performance, you know, applications. Like, just if we're talking about the baseline keeping your car on the road, there's such use for building up the, the history of this data. 
Yeah, that's amazing. It definitely sounds, obviously, when you start thinking about the fact that in every other industry, data has kind of become the new oil, uh, it's a no-brainer when you're talking about a really large investment asset that most people are purchasing, um, whether yes. it's for the insurance or whether it's for secondary sales or even just cool applications like being part of a car club. Those yep. those that are in the know definitely know that that is a thing. So. And those that are in the know have like been, been using some tools to track their data before, too, even before demo, of course. Um, I, I think that like a lot of times user pain points can often be reframed as data questions. And that's where we like sort of deal in this, um, uncertainty of like, you know, do users want data? Well, do you ask the average person, do you want more data about their car? They're going to say, I, I, don't, I don't really know. I don't know what to do with it. Right. Do you want more insight about your car? Do you want to worry less about whether your car is becoming less efficient or if there's something, some latent problem that you can't you know, detect, most people say, yeah, I'd love to know. I'd love to make sure that I'm not like in a ticking time bomb. This car is going to like blow up or, you know, probably less dramatically. It's just going to lose all its value or, you know, going to cost me more money. Um, and so if you ask people those kinds of questions, they'll tend to say yes. And a lot of that stuff can be answered with data. So it's not so much like, you know, the companies, you talk to a company and, and, you know, some, you know, CIO there and say, yeah, of course we want data. Talk to a person and say, I want peace of mind. I want uh, comfort. I want, um, y you know, like convenience. Those are the things they want. And actually those things can be unlocked through data. That's amazing. This is a uh, totally anecdotal, but literally just two days ago. Uh, so I have a Range Rover, which is pretty ubiquitously known as a ticking time bomb kind of car. Uh, and I, <laughs> I was driving it. The check engine light came on because it had been, she'd been driving it. We live in Austin. We drove down to San Antonio, done all these things. Sure. She said, what does this mean? I said, well, it can mean something as trivial as a uh, O2 sensor that's going out, or it can mean the car is about to explode. But without any more information or data than that, you don't really know. And so these kinds right. of things are, they can sort of scare people, but having an opportunity to take that information and, and start being proactive, at least from uh, knowing what could be down the down the pike is really a compelling use case I think anybody can, can sort of empathize with. Um, so one of the things that I'm really interested in is how are those value creations from the data being utilized right now what i know that there's a lot yeah. of builders that are sort of using the uh the demo platform yep. where where are some of yep. those value exchanges occurring uh in the current day and, and age yeah i think that whenever we talk about how is all of the data that demo users are collecting how is it being used it's really important to start with um a, a two like two sides the distinction um so the first is aggregate data um, and, and a lot of people kind of start here, they assume, okay, Demo, you're going to build up this big pool of drivers, 25,000 today, 100,000 tomorrow, a million the next year, like whatever. Um, they think you have this big pool of data. Companies are going to come to you. They're going to buy the data. Everyone gets paid. Lovely time. Um, we are doing some work on that front, um, but we've actually found that the second part of our model is actually um, we're much more enterprise interested. And that model is not selling aggregate data, but allowing a user to share their specific data with a company they want to share it with. And I'll give an example. Um, insurance is, an is another really good place to start. And this was also true of used car marketplaces and other other types of entities. When you go to one of these large entities and try company used car marketplace and say, hey, we have 100,000 cars worth of data, a million cars worth of data. They say, oh, okay, cool. That's pretty nice. Like we can fold that into our model and like try to make better guesses about, you know, Nissan Sentra's from 2012 and, and like what they're worth or 
you know, how the drivers are. Um, but if it's all statistical at that point, it's just trying to improve models. When you allow a user to share their specific data with one of those entities, that entity knows how to price that person. And they're able to make an actual decision at that moment in time on a particular transaction. So in the case of Carvana or Room, where Ralph, my co-founder used to work, um, and really this can apply a lot of places, now they know something about that particular car and they can better price that car. And that can be um, thousands of dollars in, in, in either direction. The user might get a much better deal. Most likely he's going to get a better deal because they're sharing some data. Uh, the company's going to get a better deal because they know what they're buying. Um, and, and it's a win-win. And repeated at scale, all of these individual decisions are much more valuable than like the aggregate model that you're trying to affect. Um, and, and that's not true of all use cases. There are some people building today, like what you asked, what are people actually building? Um, some people are building like cell tower mapping models. So it's like, okay, you, one individual car doesn't help you much. In that case, you really do want a big aggregate pool. Um, we have other people that are interested in mobility data, like where are cars in aggregate stopping and charging and refueling and things like that. Um, so we're working with plenty of companies that are interested in that type of data. But on the other side, we're working with um, maintenance companies, financing companies, uh, insurance companies, like the whole host of automotive services categories that are saying, yes, we would love for a driver to be able to send us their data and then we can make a really smart decision about them and repeat that process over and over and over. Um, and that's where I think the most value is going to be created by like really giving people custody over their own vehicle data. Yeah. I love that. And you can think of all the different use cases that apply that most people are probably familiar with, but actually unlocking the ability to make that happen is, is a lot that's involved yeah. with that. And so streamlining that process is, is an absolute no brainer. One of the other aspects to your guys's model that's really compelling is that you're allowing developers to actually come and build directly on. And so it's not just aggregate data, it's very use case specific. Can you talk through what yep. the life cycle is like for those developers that say, Hey, I've got an app idea, or I want to be able to offer yeah. some integration with insurance. How, how does that work? Can you talk through that uh, that part of your guys' business a little bit? Sure. It's super early right now. We actually just um, just last week held an AMA where we shared some of the um, most recent um, uh, updates to our API docs. Um, so we're still in the very early stages. I would say, again, like there's kind of a bifurcation where it comes to the types of, of, of people that are coming to work with us. Uh, pure startups and developers that are like, hey, I've got a brand new idea. And then existing companies, um, very different models working with both, of course. Um, with the, with the developers that are like really excited about what we're building at this point, they're in discord, they're working directly with our engineers, engineering team, um, really to try and figure it out and provide feedback. I mean, we have already incorporated, I mentioned this was a re-release of APIs, already incorporated a bunch of feedback from those folks, um, to improve the, the developer platform. And, and we certainly don't, you know, we don't have the SDK prepared yet. It's, it's, it's in the works, um. So it's a bit of a, of a give and take, like anyone who can show up and like really provide us with a good compelling use case for this data, we're happy to work with them, sit with them, help them understand the API. Um, we asked many of those developers to, to sort of like contribute backwards, pay it forward, like help us create some documentation so that the next right. developer who comes in can have a little bit of an easier time. Um, and excitingly, we have also, or the Demo Foundation rather, um, has, has really created a grants program. And so we've given out a couple of grants already to developers that are, are building, um, in most cases, infrastructure for um, the demo protocol, but uh, there will be some folks that 
would receive grants in the near future um, to build applications on top of email. And this is meant just to help fund their development, um, fund their experimentation, those sorts of things. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of positive feedback loops, loops being created between the different stakeholders, um, which is always a good thing. You talked about this a bit earlier, yeah. but I'd love to unpack this a little bit more because there's a few components to it, which is the you know deep in fitting into demo. Yeah. You know, you, you spoke about the foundation. Uh, one of the things that's really challenging when you're trying to get a user base where you can get a critical mass to have enough data that it becomes relevant, you have to incentivize that in some capacity. Deepin makes that a lot more interesting. How does the Deepin story or sort of the token incentivized aspect of what you're doing yeah. fit into that general business strategy? We thought, um, again, I'm, I'm incredibly inspired by what, what Helium was able to do um, with, with rolling out their IoT network. Um, and, you know, looked at that and thought there's really brilliant aspects to this. There are some like, you know, clear improvements that we could make just having, getting, getting the chance to see somebody else try it at a time, you know, it's sure great to be the, the second, you know, or, you know, in our case, you know, not the second exactly cohorts, people, whatever. Um, and so like for us, it, you know, bringing the crypto incentive provided a few facets. One, you get a great cohort of early adopters. Amazing. You have all these people excited to try your product. Um, and you know, you don't have to work too hard to go and, and find them and, and, and get them to test They They have their own incentive. Um, second, you, you end up creating, and this is really important to us and, and sort of the deep end story here, the D of the deep end, which is like, you, you start to immediately create some decentralization. And, uh, I think we're big believers that things you do early and the habits you build early and come to reflect you know, the, the project over time. And, you know, we believe in progressive decentralization, but you can start it very early with by you know, bringing your community into the governance process right away, which is something that we, we started. Um, and you know, the other, the other side of it is that like, we, we want there to be, we believe there has to be some neutral infrastructure in, in the connected vehicle space. Like that has to exist. If we're going to see the most advanced technologies, you know, AV technology really reach the appointment at scale, there are going to have to be some, um, you know, public goods that exist to facilitate what, um, what that looks like, some digital public goods. And so, you know, our approach from the very beginning was this needs to be a community owned project and there needs to be a way to sustain that project over time. And, and the token helps to, um, facilitate both of those things. Um, the other great part about having the the demo token and the demo rewards is, of course, um, we're very much positioning and building the demo rewards as kind of an open reward system for automotive services. So what we'll see in the future is, let's say, a new insurance company or maintenance company or car club or somebody wants to join the demo ecosystem, they can very easily start providing the reward. And now you're building for the first time what amounts to like an airline mile for your car ownership. And it's like whether you're, you know, buying um, tires in the demo marketplace or maintenance or something like that, you're now actually earning a single reward point for your car. Eventually, you'll be able to spend it on things you need for your car or cash it out or hold it or whatever. Um, but it, it also has this second function of like creating for the first time a, a real reward point for, for vehicle ownership. That's awesome. I know there's so many applications just in that alone. Uh, the car club example, I think is really unique. There could be so many fun things that happen, but 
the broader kind of mass market option with tires or repairs is really, really yeah. compelling and super interesting. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot come to the forefront as, as Devo continues to get adoption in cars are connecting on the platform. So where, where are you seeing things going in the future then? First of all, you guys are getting loads and loads of cars connecting, which is incredible. You guys' adoption curve yeah. is, is parabolic, which is, which is what we all want to see is, but where, where do you see things going in the future? Yeah. So I'll start with a really big vision and I'll get into some specifics. Um, you know, we've been believers for a long time that everyone in the world should use crypto. However, most people will never know they're using crypto. Yeah. You don't know the technology that Netflix, I don't know what Netflix uses. I don't know like how, how Uber works. And, and in fact, you never had to explain or educate a person. You just downloaded Uber, you could order a taxi. It wasn't like, let's teach you how blockchain works. <laughs> you just downloaded the app and used it. And I think that one of the things that has held crypto back in terms of, of adoption has been building products that required education. Um, and I think Deepin as a whole represents a, a new set of types of on-ramps. It's not just about speculation and, and, and earning or, or financial applications, um, but also represents a category of products where you can really bring the crypto and the blockchain back um, and, and really just focus on the product so where is Demo headed? Well, uh, we believe that we are going to be the project that brings more new people into the crypto space and makes them crypto users. Again, probably without them knowing than any other project, uh, you know, from, from here on out. And one way that we're going to be doing that is we're really going to be going from just focused on crypto adoption to the mass market. And we're really excited to actually announce that um, we're going to be launching the Demo Macron. It's a new version of the Demo hardware that allows people to connect their car to Demo. Um, the great things about the Demo Macron is that it's going to come uh, at a $99 price point for consumers or possibly even cheaper over time. Um, this makes it a pretty cheap OBD2 device, even if you're just talking about like what exists on the market today. Plus, it comes with a whole bunch of the other features, um, data collection capabilities and things that we've, that we've talked about and that we're building to Demo. Um, really exciting. It's actually going to use the Helium network as well. So now we're seeing the melding of two uh, deep in projects. Um, this is going to use the the, the, the LoRaWAN network to offload data. Um, it's going to be really huge. Uh, we're planning on, on you know, bringing this into all the markets that we're live in. Um, we're launching it. Uh, we're going to begin shipping at the end of November. Um, and we anticipate that fleets and people all over the world are going to be using the Demo Macron um, starting in November. That's amazing. That's so exciting. We get to drop a little bit of, uh, of Alba here on the podcast. We love getting to uh, hear new product yeah. announcements. Uh, can you talk about like what's unique about this product and sort of how the iteration or the yeah. evolution has occurred over time for everybody that's that's now tuning in? Absolutely. It's a great question. So um, the, the demo launched when, when you know we did a, uh, about uh, almost two years ago at this point. We launched with the ability to connect your car via software if you have a really modern car like a Tesla. And we launched with um, a really, really great OBD2 device called the AutoPi. This is, a, and when I say OBD2, I mean the standard port, you know, information port that your car has to your car's computers. Uh, the AutoPi is really like almost more of a fleet device. It's, it's actually got a ton of capabilities, can collect tons of data, can be Wi-Fi hotspot, out of dash, can has all of these extensive, this, all, all this extensibility. Um, and we've sold almost 10,000 of them, and there's you know almost that many cars connected via AutoPi. The only downside has always been that it's about a $299 price point for consumers. 
And for many people, that's a little bit more than they want to pay for an IoT device. And the reality is it probably has more capabilities and more data collection than you need either as an individual or you need really to use some of the applications that we talked about. So um, the the Macron kind of um, streamlines those data collection capabilities. It, it has a lim more limited set of signals, but you get about 30 different signals and data points off of your car with this. Um, of course, some of the basics are going to be like tracking your location or, you know, allowing you to help keep tabs on the family's cars, checking fuel level, um, looking at engine efficiency metrics, really simple things that are going to help the average driver just know, hey, is there something going on with my car or, or you know, everything is good. Um, we'll also incorporate the ability to scan error codes when, when check engine light does come on. Um, and what we're probably most excited about, like the headline for this is like, this is the cheapest way to connect your car. It's going to be cheaper than um, any other telematics device that's out there in part because it's using the LoRaWAN network. And it's going to be cheaper than almost any connected car subscription, unless you're getting the app free from Tesla or I think Ford is maybe free. Um, every other automaker is going to charge you more to use their app and subscribe to that annually than uh, what you're going to pay for the Dingo Macron. Yeah, that's so exciting. I'm really, really stoked for you guys. I will absolutely be a customer uh, the second it's available. Sweet. One of the things that you can go to, uh, yeah, you can go to drivedemo.com and order it. We'll be sure to link all that below. And one of the things that I'm super excited about, more on the deep inside, it's a little less on the uh, connected car aspect, is is the fact that yeah. you're using the Helium LoRaWAN network to be able to connect and use it for the data offloading, as you mentioned. Can you talk about the benefits that are enabled there obviously it's synergistic because it's both using a decentralized network sure. but can you talk through some of the other things from the deepened perspective of why uh LoRaWAN made sense for this this specific product offering yeah i, I mean laura is great because it's cheap it's got good range um you know i i, I we can't promise that that there's going to be perfect coverage in every corner of the country i mean that's part of where like you know understanding how the 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 network has been built out is important. The nice thing is we have a backup, you know, Bluetooth can connect to the device and you can offload data through your phone, but the lore is passive. It's always on. If you lend somebody your car, like the, the, the lore is going to work. Um, you know, the, the, the cheapness of it, um, most connected car products, if you're looking at a fleet product or something like that, are probably going to run you at least five, if not quite a bit more, you know, maybe up to 10 bucks a month to connect um over an lte network wow. and that can be great if you need to offload tons of data but if you really need sort of if it's 30 data points is enough in the key things gps location and error codes and like a bunch of other metrics is enough which it is for a lot of people and a lot of fleets then you can get by at you know under 50 cents a month in connectivity costs and um that's sort of unheard of in the telematics industry so, um, you know, we can bring that to fleets that are already paying for vehicle telematics and, and also just bring it to people who are, you know, if you have a door, a connected doorbell and uh, a speaker or, you know, lights that you can control with your voice or something like that, like this product sits in with the other things that you're already using in your life. And um, it does so without much of a cost. And we're also shipping the device with three years of connectivity. So you don't even have to think about it for three years. That's amazing. That's going to be so exciting for folks that don't even have to think about it. They can just plug and go uh, yeah. and they can start reaping all the benefits right away. Well, Alex, is there anything else you wanted to share? Any other kind of final talking points or uh, just details that we wanted to make sure we cover before before we get a chance to wrap it here? Yeah. 
I think that, um, you know, there, there's a couple of things. So first off, I, and you know, we can't, um, can't say this enough is that like, we, we really believe that Demo is going to be the, the product that all the deep in excited and crypto excited people can go and bring to their family members at Christmas and say, Hey, here's this cool thing. You can explain the crypto if you want, you can stay away from it. It's just going to be a great product. People are going to learn about the car. They're going to be thankful that they have this. And we really are big believers that that's the future that crypto and web three product need to go towards like product first crypto second, if at all. Um, and the other thing that I'll say is like, I've been just tremendously, um, excited about some of the other stuff that's happening in the deep end space. Um, it, it really feels like it's beginning to have, um, a, a little bit of, of, of a moment in, in the crypto world. And I think it's really important that, um, you know, podcasts like yours and all the people that are in this space and all the entrepreneurs continue to like push for more attention on this space because um, I do think we're going to see more people get onboarded through unique and novel on ramps than we're going to see through these conventional like crypto exchanges and NFT, you know, trading platforms and derivatives and, you know, the stuff like that that seems to be in, in copy pasta mode. So um, I'm really glad. I'm thankful, Tyler. Thanks for having me on. It's been a really fantastic conversation. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to um, sharing more about Demo with, with everyone. Yeah, absolutely, Alex. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. And like I mentioned before, we'll be sure to link everything down below, uh, your handles, all of the the website information where people cool. can go to actually purchase the device when it's available. I'd love to get my hands on it, do a do a review, show how easy it is to get set up uh, once it's available. Because awesome. um, I'm, I'm just bullish and I totally understand the value and I think it's going to be an amazing way to it's a gateway drug to get a lot of people into crypto without even yes. getting it so i, I concur with Absolutely. your assessment on that one so wonderful well hey we'll wrap it up there we want to thank everybody again for tuning in alex thank you so much uh, again we'll link everything down below if you have questions feel free to leave them and uh we'll, we'll be sure to funnel them to the right people to get the right answers going other than that thanks again alex and we'll see everybody on the next one thanks tyler cheers